Hi everybody, I'm Jim Ford. And I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 66. Yes, uh, well this is the the second try of episode 66. As some, some people on the forums and Facebook page know, my computer, the hard drive completely crashed, um, stopped working, needed to buy a brand new one. So all the data that I had on the hard drive that was not backed up, completely lost. Which includes episode 66, which is kind of why this episode is going to be late. So that episode, the you know original episode 66, was uh, me and Corwin talking about the Justice League of America, Justice Society crossover. Hopefully we'll be able to redo that, get to that storyline at some point. It It wasn't good at all. So... If you're listening and like, oh man, I really wanted to listen to that, you know, and read read those books. No, no, those books were horrible. And like that episode, I mean, it was a decent episode. It was actually a really good episode because the books were so horrible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, having to revisit them again, not gonna be not gonna be that enjoyable for us. So we're gonna try and figure out fun ways to make it entertaining again. But uh, that's to look forward to in the future. But here tonight, what are we talking about, Mark? We are going to discuss Green Arrow 1 through 3, which hopefully will be a lot more interesting, certainly to all of us, or at least you, than uh, the, the uh, JSA, JLA, JLA crossover was. I can't, I can't imagine how it wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you read that, that crossover? I have it, but once again, I've, that, that's a storyline that if I have, was having to talk about it, I'd have to go back and reread it to get all the fine points. But, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't overly impressed with it either. I thought, I mean, some parts of it I liked. I liked, I liked Dr. Fate being in it. There were things that I liked, but and it just seemed like they tr- were trying to make Alan Scott too much of a, like a parallax ripoff and then not a whole lot of believability in the resolution, I thought, either, but... That sums it up nicely. <laughs> well, a lot nicer than I was. <laughs> Put it to you that way. Yeah, yeah. No, Green Arrow, like, um, yeah, initial thoughts on Green Arrow. What, what do you think of this so far for this series? So far, especially having gone back to reread issues one through three when we were originally prepping to do this like a few weeks ago, liked it more than when I first glanced through it and just kind of was getting a basic gist of what was going on. Now that I read it and kind of... Like understanding what's going on in Star City a little bit more, how people that's how the selected people are being killed off, and and what's going on in the forest with Oliver. I I actually am liking it more. So I think when the new issue comes out, I'm going to pay a lot more attention to it, having been really paid a lot more attention to issues one through three as prep for when we were going to do this. So now that's it's interesting that you you mention like the way that you just kind of like glance at it to take you know to try and get an idea of what's going on like do you find yourself doing that with a lot of comics probably i mean i mean unless it's a storyline that i'm really really into i mean i don't i certainly don't do it with green lantern i don't do it with green lantern core or any of those books or blackest night i didn't do it either i haven't been doing it up till now anyway with the with world war hulks either because i find that storyline interesting so i paid attention to and pretty much read every issue to see what information we were being given every issue. But there's a certain amount of stuff. I would say not, I would say up till now, Green Arrow, Green Arrow has been one of them. And I think Legion of Superheroes, honestly, has been another one. My interest in the Legion isn't that strong either. I mean, I think I'm more or less reading it because I'm interested in what they're doing and trying to restart the Green Lantern Corps. 
But other than that, I don't know. Plus, every other character's name is like boy or lad or girl, and that kind of <laughs> kind of gets old after a while. Yeah, no, that's well, it's it's nice to know that I'm not the only person that does that with the the flip through because, like, I find like, well, not so much like lately, because now like I'm I'm definitely making a change, but it used to be that I would would just buy a lot more comics than I had any interest in reading. You know, you just, you get it, you flip through it. And I guess I figured, like, at some point I'll read it. Right. You know, like, that that point is, like, you know, later rather than sooner. <laughs> so, yeah, like you, like, flipping through this originally, it didn't really mean much to me. And I, I probably could have dropped it at any point without, you know, caring one way or another. But, yeah, reading it for the, for the show, um, I'm definitely more involved. I I wouldn't say I love it. I definitely don't love it, but it's interesting enough for me to continue reading for now. I was going to say this, almost the exact same thing you just did, that it's interesting. It's intriguing enough to see to want to see where they're going to take it. Yeah, because, I mean, like, the story, and you know, we'll talk about all this and discuss it. They, they have a lot of, there's, like, a, a lot of questions that get raised, and a lot of mystical things that are clearly tied to the white lantern and the white, you know, power entity. So that stuff has me intrigued. The, the murders that has me intrigued, like the different characters that green arrow is going to meet. Like I'm, I'm interested in, in knowing what happens. You know, I, I'm curious enough to follow the story and, you know, I, I guess we'll, we'll say it now. The creative team on this, we have, J.T. Krull doing the, the writing, art by Diogenes Neves, and uh, I guess, uh, was that ink or coloring by Vincent Cifuentes? So, you know, they, they're, they're doing, like, a firm job, I would say. <laughs> you know, it's, like, J.T. Krull, plot-wise, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued enough to keep following it. I'm not enamored with it to say that, oh, I love this, I can't wait for the next issue. Like, I'm looking forward to the next issue, but I, it's, you know, when it comes out, I'll get it, you know, whenever. But his dialogue is, is very well done, I say. I think, I think the dialogue is pretty well done, too. And, and even, it, it gives, even yeah, it gives you a good insight into what Oliver is going through at this stage after Prometheus and after the Star City's destruction and everything. Just all the things that he's dealing with inside and the reflections he's making about things he should have done differently or could have done differently and how he doesn't feel on some levels he has any other choice but to do what he's doing the way he's doing it now. Yeah, yeah, well, it's it's not the kind of thing where they're, like, pounding you over the head with, like, that totally telegraphed dialogue. Right. Like, J.T. Krull, he's, he writes very well. His, like, his dialogue, it conveys all of this past information because you could actually pick this up from issue one and not have read anything beforehand and they give you all the information that you need from like the prometheus event from brightest day like you don't need to read those in order to enjoy green arrow i think that's true because i mean even though i did read most of cry for justice i haven't really read much of green arrow on his own certainly for a long time so the fact that I was intrigued enough to pick up even issue one, though that was some of that was because of the brightest day aspect of it. Right. But now that I'm reading it, and like you said, we both went back and reread it. That 
there aren't that many of the brightest day books that I'm overly enthralled with other than the main ones The you know that the I like I'm definitely like the brightest day maxi series enough to keep reading it Green Lantern and core and all those are a given but for the most part most of the brightest day the other issues that they're comics or titles they're really tying into brightest day really haven't done much for me at this point but green I think green arrow is one of them yeah no def- definitely um, art wise you know I would say that this Diogenes Neves does uh, a decent job better in some places than others you know so like so, some spots you got some really nice nice uh, you know renditions of the characters other spots it's a little stiff or a little like um, almost overly cartoony I can see that I, I think over I think overall especially even just flipping through it again right now I think for the most part I like it I think I think he does a good job with Oliver that's for sure yeah yeah no definitely I think uh, when we get to I don't know I want to say either issue two or three with Galahad probably three well no there, there was a scene in particular in oh yeah it was the scene in number two with Galahad uh, where he's kind of like bending over to get some water out of the right in the beginning, the very beginning of the issue. Yeah, that particular drawing of him, it's it's almost JRJR inspired. Actually, you're exactly right when he's when he's actually like reaching down to get the water. The, the splash page of that that that's true. That does remind you a lot a lot. Yeah, uh, and there's there's another scene where I, I guess it's in number three where. Uh, he does look kind of cartoony. So it's almost like his particular look has been, you know, changing a bit here and there. But um, no, overall, yeah, it's it's good art. It's very, you know, well done dialogue. The plot is good at this point. Like, I'm I'm definitely willing to give this a few more issues to, you know, to really hook me. And I mean, even if it doesn't really hook me, I'm still interested enough to to keep following it, I think. I think so, too. I mean, I would suspect at least for, I mean, I'm not sure how many issues this first story arc is going to be, but I definitely see myself following following it to the end and then seeing what comes after that. So, yeah, I mean, I can't guarantee, like a lot, like a lot of books, I can't guarantee that I'm going to be with it for like, like a year or two years. It's not something that's like I have a just... A natural interest in that I know that I'm going to read it, you know, from beginning to end, whether it survives five issues or, you know, 150 issues. But, you know, it's something that I'm certainly glad that I started reading now and that it's, I've enjoyed the three issues of that a lot more than other books that I do tend to pick up on a pretty regular basis that, again, those tend to be a lot of, especially nowadays, I think that you look at and you kind of, you gloss over and it's like, Okay, or you read once and you don't think twice about it, even if you do read it the first time. It's nothing that makes an impression or you think you're ever going to have to reference back to it. So Yeah, I think this started like, what, a month or two after Brightest Day started? Probably. So you figure this is probably going to have the Brightest Day banner up until issue 10, 11, 12, around that area. Right. I can see myself sticking with this book for that amount of time, at least. And then, you know, we'll, we'll relook at it because the other thing is, and, you know, I guess this is, this is about where we'll start, you know, to really talk about the book. This isn't like previous Green Arrows, you know, books. I know you, you said you, you haven't read Green Arrow in a while. Uh, I'm guessing you read Quiver? 
Yes, actually, I was just going to say the last the last time I read Green Arrow on a regular basis was when yeah when, when Kevin Smith did the relaunch, and I read and I forget how I think I might have actually kept reading it until Kevin Smith left the book because I liked the fact that they you know which they kind of foreshadowed anyway, but they the way they tied it into Hal bringing Ollie back and everything, mm-hmm. so I did like that. I did like Quiver, I, but I. But the whole him being like married to Black Canary and all that, I I really didn't read any of that Green Arrow. Yeah, yeah, no, that series that Kevin Smith kicked off, I read quite a bit of that actually, from Kevin Smith to I want to say Ben something or other. I don't know. He did the, they did the the crossover that uh, I'm pretty sure that it was the same writer that ended up crossing over with the Green Lantern series for the end of Kyle's run. Oh, okay, yes. And, oh, Ben Robb, that's what it was. Uh, which, and it, it was definitely my opinion that he wrote Green Arrow much better than he wrote Green Lantern. But uh, yeah, Kyle didn't go out with a bang. No, but but his Green Arrow run was was well done, and I I don't know if I got that entire series, but I definitely got most of it. I didn't read. I definitely didn't read the whole series, but I did read a lot of it, and it was a good series. Uh, this, and like, I did not follow any of the Green Arrow, Black Canary stuff. This is something completely new. Yeah. So if you've never read Green Arrow before and you said, you know what? I like the concept. I think it's interesting. You know, this is, this is your jumping on point for Green Arrow, hands down. I would, yeah, I think so. And and like you said, it, it, it kind of capsulizes or sums up everything, most, most of everything, certainly of irrelevance that's been going on with, with Green Arrow in, the recent times, a recent history of Green, of DC related to Green Arrow, so it's a good jumping on point. The first, the first three issues, and plus it's plus it's a little, you know, it's obviously is a it's a darker Oliver Queen, so it's a so it's a, it's another interesting another tidbit to, or reason to kind of like draw more people in, potentially anyway. It's a it's a different a de- definitely a different new take on him. So. With uh, with the first issue, you have uh, you know it starts off. You have this this woman. She's being chased by a gang of thugs, basically, and you you kind of figure what they're gonna do when they finally catch her. So she runs into this this forest, which uh, you can see like the sign is uh, been rearranged to say like Sherwood Park. So that's a definite, you know, throwback to Sherwood Forest. So, yeah, she's running into the forest. The thugs are, you know, they've just caught her when all of a sudden Green Arrow comes on the scene, shoots off a bunch of arrows, takes everybody out really quick. And uh, that's when, you know, he's walking the girl out of the forest and they're having a nice little conversation to catch everybody up on, you know, what brightest day? What happened in brightest day, and what happened with uh, the cry for justice situation? Where now in that Prometheus teleported a part of the city away, and it just was destroyed or something? Oh, I I actually I I'm trying to remember if that's what they did or if it was a I almost want to say it was a bomb or something that he teleported in, but I don't really. But I know there was one issue of Cry for Justice that for some reason they didn't pull for me, and I don't remember if it was the, the actual issue when they, but when it was destroyed, because I know, or it was the issue when he killed Prometheus when 
Oliver killed Prometheus. I know there was one issue, one issue that I missed, but essentially either way, Star, Star City ended up being destroyed because of Prometheus, and then Green Arrow kind of took it up, took it in his own hands and took out Prometheus. Yeah, he actually killed Prometheus, which I mean a little more understandable because one of the people that ended up being killed in the whole, you know, wiping out of Star City was Green Arrow's, like, kind of adopted granddaughter. Right. Yeah, so she she was killed in the whole thing. He went nuts, went and killed Prometheus. You have this whole, like, star-shaped, you know, barren wasteland in the middle of Star City. And all of a sudden, through brightest day, a forest sprouts up from Dead Man, which you saw in the first issue of Brightest Day, or the zero issue of Brightest Day, rather. Right. So yeah, they're they're reminiscing about this. The business district of Star City is almost completely untouched. Like you know, you flash over to Queen Industries, and there's somebody new running the show. This uh, this woman. Let's see, what's her name? Steele. Isabel. Oh, yeah, Isabel Rochev. So, uh, yeah, and she's kind of zany with this mask that she wears. I know, she looks like Cobra Commander. <laughs> yeah, she has uh, a nice hot young daughter. And uh, she's going to take control of Queen Industries to bring it back to its former royalty. And uh, she, you can see that she has disdain for Oliver Queen and that she actually, you know, really respects what his father, Patrick Queen, had, uh, you know, done for the company and brought it to greatness, you know, and now, you know, she she refers to him as the king. And the king is dead, but long live the queen. Yep. Which is interesting for Queen Industries. Then, uh, let's see, you've got uh, this media, like, uh, fundraiser for all these people that are now homeless due to the whole... Star City catastrophe. And uh <laughs> five minutes into the party there's a there's a big uh you know problem. All the food's been stolen and it's been stolen by Green Arrow. So you have like the very distinct Robin Hood kind of thing going. And because uh, he's bringing it to the poor people that need it. And he's plus he's zinging it to like to the mayor and to, to the police commissioner at the same time since he's obviously not their favorite person. Yeah. In the in the history of mankind, Oliver Queen's not high in their list of people they want to hear about or hear from again. So it was kind of a that was that made that made it even worse that it's not just that the food was taken, but who's the one who took it? Yeah. Then they they know exactly who. So, um, and they they make references to like the corruption going on between the commissioner and the mayor, and. Uh, so the next scene after, you know, the food's being doled out, you know, you flash over to the city. The commissioner, this uh, Nudo Sarah guy, he's uh, being held up by, uh, you know, a worker. They're doing work on the road. Mayor, you know, not the mayor, the commissioner, you know, he's like, you know, hey, I'm going to have this guy's job. You know, he slows me down and he gets out of the car to go confront him. And this construction worker who, you know, is like, you know, stopping traffic, takes out a knife and kills the commissioner dead, runs off. Nobody has any idea, like, who it is, male or female, what they look like, because they had, like, a mask and a, a wig and all sorts of distractions so that 
you know, you can't tell who it is. The commissioner's been killed. Now the mayor is going to be really worried. It's like, okay, well, and the the thing that I thought was really funny is that nobody thinks that it's Green Arrow. You know, it's like, yeah, Green Arrow, he wouldn't do that. Like, he inspired this, no doubt. But, you know, he definitely didn't do it. It's It's interesting because even though he killed Prometheus, they still don't expect him to be a killer. That's true. Plus the MO of how the, uh, how the commissioner was killed, probably at least that certainly helped the cause probably just with it being a knife as opposed to with it being an arrow too. That's true. That's a good point. But the people, but as, uh, in the beginning of the issue, when, uh, he was walking the brunette out of the forest, I mean, she made the point of saying that, you know, she wanted him to not doubt or realize that the people were still with him. Yeah. That the people of star city still believe in him. And, and they support him, even if more or less he's an outcast by, in the government and police's eyes. And she also kind of makes a reference that, you know, the people are going to start doing something themselves also. So, I don't know, that that's probably some foreshadowing that's going to come into play later on. And uh, then, you know, we close out the issue with uh, the mayor. Now he's basically panicking because... His commissioner that is completely under his thumb is gone, and he's going to Queen Industries with this new, this new, uh, I don't know, the Queen basically, the CEO, whatever that, whatever her actual position is. Yeah, co- Cobra Commander, <laughs> and she's got these uh, like super suits for you know to protect the the mayor. Queen bots. <laughs> Queen bots, yeah. And, uh, well, no, they're, they're not robots. They're just suits. Oh, I know. I'm only kidding. Yeah. They're, they're guys in suits, but I'm just. So, uh, yeah, they're, uh, like, you know, again, they make reference to the fact that, you know, it's definitely not Green Arrow that killed the commissioner, but we gotta, we gotta send them a message basically. Yeah. We got Hal Jordan, Green Lantern flying into the forest to, uh, say, you know, hello to his good pal, Ollie. And uh, all of a sudden, his ring just kind of stops working, and he starts crashing into trees. He lands at, like, the, I guess, the central tree with the white symbol on it, and uh, that's where he meets Ollie. And, uh, oh, and afterwards, there's, like, kind of a future, what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't really give you much information, but uh, there's some shadows as far as who's going to be his, his merry men. Which is probably enough foreshadowing for now. Just the idea that he's get, just to let you know that even though he wants to, he thinks he he thinks he can do it on his own, or he wants to. He's used to being on his own, and he's still going to need help in the end. And the question is, who that help is going to be? So yeah. So for the first issue, I mean, I think uh, this this chick that he helps through the forest, I I think she's gonna. Well, she already comes back in number three i want to say right i think it is three i know it's definitely one of the next two but i think it is three yeah so she comes back again i think she's gonna have some larger role to play she's a social worker and she wants to change the world i guess probably could be at the very least you think she could be like a like an intermediary between you know this what the people of star city and and oliver or even beyond that that she can kind of that he can kind of like work through her to achieve some things maybe that he wants to that he can't really do on his own, certainly not publicly anymore. 
or she's going to be the one that's uh, killing people. That's a possibility, too. (laughs) (laughs) He made me do it. I guess we won't spend too much time talking about this uh, Rochev, Isabel Rochev, until the next issue. Um, Just that she's this mysterious figure who's taking over. (laughs) Although I have to say, like, even at this point, at this point, you have to realize that she's going to be somebody, you know, with ties to the whole, you know, queen family or something. Right. They uh, they definitely gave those implications. That's true. Even in the first issue, they do, because the fact that she made the point of when she's talking about trying to restore Queen Industries to its former glory or it, or, or bring honor back to the name and, and, and people respond, what do you mean? Like, Oliver just re- kind of, like, helped drive this company into the ground. And she goes, not Oliver. She's talking about, you know, I mean, it's the father. So she made the point. It's kind of, yes, kind of hinting or foreshadowing that there's that there's a real connection between her her and uh, Oliver's father. Mm-hmm. So it's more, it's not just maybe, not just business, but personal, as in why she's trying to take over Queen Industries. Yeah, the, uh, the Robin Hood theme, uh, it, it comes up a few times here with the, the Sherwood Park, the, you know, Green Arrow stealing food from the rich. And giving to the poor, which, you know, when you think about it, it's it's hysterical because they're throwing a, a fundraiser for the poor. And, you know, they have all this food and, you know, lavish whatevers and Green Arrow steals all the food. And like it's almost like he's doing more than what the fundraiser actually was geared for by giving these people food right away. That is true. And I, and I like and I like the line about how uh, they're reacting to the, the hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. I was like, uh, we don't want to seem ungrateful, but like, do you have anything other than like fancy hors d'oeuvres to eat in there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was a cute humanizing scene. I I love the fact that like you establish like like right off the bat that you have this commissioner who's completely corrupt and he's like, you know, part of the thing that's like really wrong with Star City and you kill him off in the very first issue. That's true. I mean, I, I think that was a little surprising that they, that they, you you would kind of think that they would be building towards something like that, or maybe that you know that the plot's going to somehow be involved with taking them down and kind of like clearing Oliver's name or getting his status back in some level, but by bringing these two individuals down and then you kill the commission, the commissioner gets killed like, boom, 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 right in the first issue. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely it's satisfying. I have to say. You have this reporter character who comes up a couple of times, kind of like, uh, I guess he's going to really be the intermediary between Green Arrow and, you know, at least the news and what's really going on. Gibson, right? I think his name is Gibson. Oh, is it? I think so. I, I kind of flipped through it a, before before we started. I think, the commi- I think the mayor refers to him as Gibson when he's kind of asking him that question before the fundraiser. Yeah, it says, check the sign, Gibson. This is for the people in need. All the proceeds from tonight's fundraiser are going directly to aid our fellow citizens. Yeah, I mean, that's that's cool. I mean, you know, I guess, like, they're also kind of setting it up so that he might also be a suspect in the murder. That's true. I mean, every, I mean, at this stage of the game, until we know more, everybody's a suspect, so... Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I guess at this point, it also could be this, you know, queen of Queen Industries... You know, like kind of yeah, orchestrating it. It's like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you protection from myself, kind of. But you know, you don't really, but you don't really know that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
I mean, that's what I would bet on right now. I mean, that, that would seemingly be, you would think she's involved in kind of orchestrating maybe to make Queen Industries more important as in to protect the city because nobody else can do it. Yeah, exactly. Then you have, uh, you have the second issue. And now I have to say, all these covers, the covers are absolutely beautiful. They're uh, these like nice, you know, painted covers. Let's see, who's doing the covers? Oh, um, Moro Cassioli. That's what it looks like, Cassioli. Uh, Maro Cassioli, something like that. Um, yeah, all these covers are beautiful, stunning. But this one, I have to take some issue with because, like, even when they did the, uh, like, the from the um, advanced solicit for this. And you could see Green Lantern's ring kind of like broken in half, smoking on the ground. Right. Like, you know, you think like, oh, crap. Like, why the hell would Green Lantern's ring be snapped in half and smoking on the ground? And if that happened, that can't be good at all. (laughs) That like that does not happen at all in this issue. No, it's not. I mean, it doesn't. Not not in the least. Even (laughs) though unless. Unless they just gave him some basic instructions, like he's he's his ring is going to be completely useless. So it's like, and he, that's how we imagine Hal's ring being completely useless, being broken on and not him not wearing it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely cool looking. Um, you want to do the rundown for this one? All right. So issue issue two begins, and it doesn't focus in on Hal or Ollie to start with. It begins in the forest at Star City. And you have a mysterious figure who we kind of talked about earlier, whose actual name isn't revealed to issue three, but he is Galahad, who's kind of dressed as a knight, talking about the the mystery of the forest, how mysterious that uh, the forest in Star City is, which obviously, once you look at him, you realize he doesn't quite belong in a normal forest either, <laughs> so something's going on. So you have a splash page of him filling his canteen with water, and... That pretty much does it for Mr. Galahad for a while. <laughs> and then we end up back focusing on Hal and Ollie. And they trying to figure out, number one, while well, Hal, Hal seems to be kind of fascinated by logically by the big white lantern symbol on the tree. Yeah. And he's also trying, and they're both trying to figure out what exactly was going on with Hal's ring, while it do, you know, why it doesn't work. And Oliver kind of throws out the idea that maybe he has to do with the fact that no electronics seem to work in the forest. That might be like an EMP from the explosion that destroyed, that leveled heart, the heart of the city. I don't. Hal really doesn't seem to buy that, but he's. He, I think he tends to think that it's more related to the White Lantern symbol, since nobody really knows what the White Lantern power really is yet. So Hal and Ollie kind of continue their discussion, trying to figure it out. And let's see. I'm just trying to go through this real quick. Oliver makes the point of saying that. Basically, he knows every, or he claims that he knows more or less everything that's going on in the forest because it's his home, which of course turns out not to be. It is his home, but he obviously doesn't know everything that's going in, going on in the forest since we don't. He doesn't exactly know about Mister Galahad, among other things. Uh, the issue then cuts back to Isabel, and she's sitting there without her Cobra Commander mask on, and she's kind of reflecting upon her past, and then she delves into her background with or foreshadows a little bit more of her background with Oliver Queen's father. I don't know if you noticed it, but I did, especially since I read the first issue. 
I mean, I spent a lot of time reading the first issue, and I wrote like this nice little synopsis for the first issue, <laughs> and, which is okay. <laughs> you write a synopsis. But I came, but issue? I came really prepared for issue one. But what I noticed in issue one <laughs> was that she refers to the father as Patrick Queen in issue one, but in issues two and three, she refers to him as Robert Queen. That's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's something, like I said, because I paid so much attention to, to the first issue that it stood out like a sore thumb when she talks about, let's see, my existence was once one of poverty and slavery, dark and w without hope. But Robert Queen, the man behind this once great company, showed me that the world could indeed be conquered. So unless his name is Robert Patrick Queen or Patrick Robert Queen, then that's kind of a continuity error. Wow, that's, well, that's, that's not even a continuity error. That's a... That's a that's a full born mistake, yeah. Like an editing error. But yeah, I noticed it, and I think from um, from ish, in issues two and th in issues two and three, I think he's exclusively referred to as Robert Queen, but in issue one, he she definitely calls him Patrick Queen. So after the little interlude with Isabel, we cut back to Hal and Ollie, and basically Ollie shows Hal exactly how he's been living, and where he's living, and. Hal makes, you know, kind of makes a few little jokes about the the fact that I just don't start calling this the Arrow Cave or or going back to any of his uh, great ideas back when he seemingly tried to, was at the height of his flamboyancy and tried to almost be like Batman. Mm -hmm. And while they're having their conversation, uh, Queen Industry helicopters are coming closer and closer to st the forest at Star City and dropping the, uh, the not really Queen bots, the, uh, the, the soldiers dressed in the advanced suits, they are dropped into Star City, the forest, and shortly thereafter that, they begin to confront Hal and Ollie. So then Hal does the best he can to fight them on his own since his ring is completely useless. Oliver uses his bows, his bow and his arrow, to do what he can. And more or less, Oliver tries to take one for the team because he knows as good as Hal is, and as heroic as Hal is, he's kind of outmatched here because all he can do is fight with his fist right now. And everybody else has guns and advanced armor. So Oliver picks up pretty quickly that the technology that they're using, besides the fact that it says Queen on it, but just by the way they're using it, that they're basically using his own technology against him. Things that were prototypes or developed at one point at Queen Industries. And in order to protect Hal, he comes up basically, he kind of has... Hal hold on to this vine that he ends up kind of like ricocheting Hal out of <laughs> out of Star City, out of the forest, into Star City itself. So automatically, once he does that, Hal's ring comes back online, and Hal then proceeds to uh, get the helicopters out of there to protect Oliver. So no more, so no more of the uh, soldiers can attack Oliver. And then Oliver more or less cleans up the, takes out the few remaining soldiers, and the and the armor his armor, and he makes the point of telling them, or telling the one one survivor in particular that he kind of shoots the arrow through his knee, that uh, make sure you tell your boss to stop using my name, because of, you know, stop using that name because it belongs to me. Right. And before Hal's like hovering on the border of Star City in the forest of Star City, so he still has his power in his ring. Yeah. And he offers, he, he tries to convince Oliver basically to take some help. That the Justice League would is willing to help him, and and Oliver basically just kind of turns him down and kind of gives him the cute little line that you have your sector, Hal, and I have mine, which refers to the forest. 
And as soon as Hal zooms out of there, coincidentally or not coincidentally enough, the uh, vine that Oliver Queen was using to hold himself up seemingly breaks until he hits the ground, and then he realizes the rope didn't break, it was cut. And then just and then the issue concludes with Oliver Queen taking an arrow right to the middle of his head and him seemingly being dead at the end of the issue. Yes. Now, uh, the one thing that I'll, I'll start off by saying is that Green Arrow's father's name, Robert Henry Queen. Hmm. So I wonder where Patrick came from. Yeah, like, that, that seems like they, they made a mistake in the first issue and... They, you know, realize, oh, you know, crud, what are we going to do? Okay, we'll just pretend that never happened. <laughs> Patrick doesn't exist anymore. Well, at least it's better than carrying the, carrying the uh, problem, the error, through like four issues and then realizing, uh, what are we going to do here? Yeah. Well, Patrick was the name that he used when he went on trips. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> No. <laughs> The main problem with the theory that, or the even as a joke, that it could have to do with him using Patrick as like an alias when he's on trips is the fact that Isabel refers to him as as Robert in the other issues, and she and and she makes it clear that she met him when he was on a trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, I, this issue, I don't know. I didn't think this one was as good. As the first issue? Neither did I. Is this is almost like like filler basically. You know, like this is okay, well it's brightest day and it's green arrow. How are we gonna get people to wanna check this out? We'll have a Green Lantern appearance. And uh I mean it's it's kind of a weak appearance. You know, he comes in and he talks to him for about five minutes and then they get ambushed. And Green Lantern's without his ring, so it's like, oh no, Green Lantern doesn't have any power. You know, let's see what Green Arrow can do. So, well, the Green Arrow fight was good. I mean, it, it was a good fight, but overall, it's it's definitely a light issue. No, I agree. I think you could be right. It could have they could have done it in a way to try to since based on a power point of view, clearly Oliver is kind of like a weak sister of the two based on pure power so maybe it was an interesting way to try to show that it isn't just about you know the power yeah it's certainly in in his own <clears throat> excuse me in his own element with depending on the opponent that oliver couldn't be even can be just as dangerous or just as dependable as Hal can be yeah that, that could have been a that could have been the point but i i do think attended it kind of was a wasted opportunity you would think that that issue was the one I don't know, maybe it is kind of like they mailed it in on that one. Maybe because they figured, oh, it's Green Arrow, we're throwing Green Lantern in. You know, you know, you know people are going to, you know, definitely people are going to buy this issue since this tends to be a huge drop off from issues from a new issue number one to issue number two. So maybe they tried to build it in that that was not going to happen this time. But let's, we'll throw Hal in issue two instead of issue one. That's a good point. That's actually a really good idea. But it could have been, it could have been obviously a lot more than that. So. Mm. I mean, I, I really like the idea of, like, catapulting Hal out of the forest so that he gets his powers back. Right. I, that was good. That was kind of clever, especially since Hal didn't really want to go. Yeah. And I like like you said, like, okay, so there is a huge drop-off from the first issue to the second issue. And then at the end of the second issue, you have, like, like basically one of the best hooks to get people to come back for the next issue. That's true. An arrow through Green Arrow's head. <laughs> man yeah no like if this 
under normal circumstances, he's dead. That that arrow goes into his head like that, he's completely dead. I don't know. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to mention in this this issue? Actually, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think there was much else in issue two to talk about because we kind of went through everything. Yeah, normally, get an arrow through the head, you think, okay, that's it. But then you have issue three. And, well, did you do a synopsis for issue three? No, you can do issue three. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just came really prepared for issue one because I kind of figured you were gonna you were gonna send me off on issue one, but it doesn't. But it's okay. <laughs> it just gives me more points to go back to about issue one in case we in case we want to talk about the whole thing as a whole again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like to keep people on their toes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, arrow through Green Arrow's head starts off with that. He's uh. I guess he's in the process of dying. He's flashing back to uh, when he washed up on the island and basically became Green Arrow. And uh, then you have this, uh, the knight, Sir Galahad, fighting off dogs that are attacking him. He picks up Green Arrow and carries him off to, uh, oh, here it is, here it is, yes. Where he's dipping Green Arrow into the this water, this lake. And like that, that particular panel, where he kind of looks like a—I don't know—he looks like a woman, basically. When he's just about to dip him in, you mean when he's got him cradled in his arms? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's—I would say that's like my least favorite panel in this entire three issues so far. But uh, yeah, he dips Green Arrow into the water, and you know you have that very familiar, you know, voice from Brightest Day. It's the white entity, you know, telling Green Arrow that he can live, but does he deserve to live? So, you know, he's kind of reflecting on, you know, what's been going on lately, on his life, and uh, having flashbacks to, you know, I guess when he was a kid with his parents. And, uh, you know, you can kind of see that his father was cheating, you know, here and there, and the mother knew it. She was kind of blatant about it. You know, he's like this big, powerful CEO of this huge company. He's basically going to do whatever he wants, and he doesn't care about his family. But he puts on, a like, you know, like a like a good face for his son. So uh, I guess Green Arrow is fighting, like, his shadow self or something like that. Meanwhile, while this is all going on, while he's kind of dying but being brought back to life by this water. And he comes back to life through a big splash of the White Lantern symbol coming out of the water. Doesn't really make any sense, but he's back to life. And uh, he thinks that this guy that just saved his life was also the one that shot the arrow into his head. But, uh, you know, he says, no, I know how to handle a bow, but I was not the one that shot you. You know, he explains who he is. Well, he says he's Galahad, but then... And then Oliver throws out the line, what, do you expect me to believe you're, you know, you're King Arthur's Galahad? And... Yeah, well, that that was later on, I think, right? I think so. I think, yeah, I think that I think that's probably the next time we see them together. I think. Yeah. So between that, you have that social worker pop up again, and uh, you know she's handing out supplies and whatnot to all the people that need them, and uh, they make a they make a point of her saying, you know, they need to send them a message. They need to send the, you know. The people that are supposed to be sending relief, Queen Industries and everybody, they got to send them a message. And then you flash over to, you know, this uh, new entertainment center that they're building, which, you know, is going to, it'll help the industry and 
it'll help the city and everything like that. And uh, somebody in the audience fires a bullet at this dude that's, um, I guess, announcing it all. Does he die? I think so. It's, it's the mayor, isn't it? Is that the mayor? I think so. I think that's Mayor Altman. I'm trying to see if they reference it later. If they reference it later on, but I'm pretty sure that was Mayor Altman that was that was killed. So maybe they don't make it. They don't. Maybe they don't go back to it this issue. But based on looks, I'm just trying to reread what he says to see if it if it makes it clear. I think it's supposed to be Mayor Altman. Based on the way he looks, I think he looks like Mayor Altman. Let me go. Let me look back at issue one to see how close the art is. I, I can't tell. They they don't really well they don't say at all, um, but yeah one of these people one of these reporters in the audience, who, you know most likely wearing a disguise because they don't actually show the face, fires off a, a bullet with the recorder, at this person that's giving the speech, whether it's the me the mayor or, you know just like somebody from uh, public relations or something, yeah they're shot and. Uh, that's all you know from that particular scene. Then you flash back to Green Arrow with Galahad this night. And, uh, yeah, he's basically a crazy person who thinks that he's Sir Galahad. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's that's about it. They find out that the water has healing properties. So it's basically like a fancy Lazarus pit without the uh, the rage part when you come out of it. <laughs> And then you find out that this uh, Isabella, who is now in charge of Queen Industries, was uh, one of, what's it, Patrick? Robert. One of Robert Henry Queen's mistresses that uh, he picked up in, uh, where was it, Russia? Siberia. Yeah, so she's always been completely enamored with this guy. So that's that's when you kind of see that this blonde, this you know hot blonde daughter of hers, is uh, going to be Oliver Queen's half sister. Yep, certainly what they're foreshadowing. That's 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 certainly being set up that way. There's no doubt. Yeah, you know you have uh, more interactions with Oliver and uh, Galahad, and then all of a sudden the entire forest glows white, and the trees all you know like they go through fall, winter summer or spring and then summer again right and uh it, it happens in a matter of moments and then uh like some sort of shadow pops up is the forest trying to save me or kill me so kind of a lame ending on the third issue <laughs> but uh i don't know like what what did you make of this the seasons flashing you know within moments i'm not entirely sure what to make of it i i I mean, other than obviously to show the true power of of the White Lantern, but also just to show how, going back to kind of like a recurring theme that that kind of like life finds a way. That because I think that no matter what you do to the to the environment there, that or just the environment in general, that eventually the Earth kind of heals itself, and thanks to the power of the White Lantern, and just kind of heals itself, it's able to heal itself a lot quicker. And maybe the man-made environment, the the city and all the buildings, that stuff is just you know, it's the way it is, but nature itself can be can be healed, and or may, maybe it just deserves to be healed more than ours. I, it does. It doesn't make a lot of sense based on where they stick it in the story. I mean, I don't think at this point. Maybe it's not supposed to make that much sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I guess this is this is one of the the reasons why I'm not in love with this series, because 
you know, you you get some, you do get some interesting points in in basically all the issues. You get some interesting tidbits, but then you also get like filler, and I I feel like you know that whole scene, like you know, what was the point of that? Was there any point whatsoever for the whole thing to you know rush through its seasons in a matter of moments? Not really. I mean, not that I can see. I guess maybe it'll it'll uh be explained possibly later on but i i can't even imagine like how you would explain like you know why something like that would happen for any reason so i like and even if they do explain it it's going to be like i think it's just gonna be like well i needed to show you what i could do and it's like okay well you wasted that many panels you know to to show that and it's like you know come on we want to know there's like aspects of the story that we definitely want to know and that one wasn't one of them right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I want to know about Isabella. I want to know about the half-sister. I'd like to know more about the Merry Men. You know, I'm I'm hoping that we'll get the Merry Men in the first six issues. Because, like, obviously they're doing, like, the whole, okay, we're going to write for the trade paperback, you know, the first trade paperback. I like the shadow. I mean, I think I like the, the way they tie the shadow, the shadow figure in at the end, kind of to the shadow figure that the shadow version of Oliver during the flashback sequences. Yeah, no, definitely. Even though obviously during the flashback sequences, you, you, there's no doubt that you're supposed to, when he's kind of like having his near-death experience, that you're supposed to, there doesn't seem to be a lot of doubt that that's him fighting himself, basically maybe him fighting the dark side of himself, the negative side of himself, and maybe also kind of like fighting his own demons like the way his, you know, his father had his own demons, and he kind of carried that over in, with, into Oliver. But the, the way it ends, too, because you can, it's almost lined up again with, you, with the shadows on the ground and going, and going you know, into the, in behind the tree or whatever, that it's kind of lined up almost like he would be looking at himself. But yet, clearly, if you're looking at that shadow, it doesn't look like Green Arrow. Right. So it kind of makes you want. But it's, I think it's just supposed to make you, makes you wonder, you know, is, is there actually something there? Or is, is this just him seeing, you know, him seeing his own demons, if you will. So yeah, yeah. So and then you know, with the with issue four, it gives you a teaser, Stranger from the star Stars, which probably, which at this point, reading you know, Brightest Day, you refer, you got kind of hints at it being the arrival of the Martian Manhunter. Right. I would think so. I would think so, based on the fact that since Martian Manhunter will probably inevitably go to Star City, thinking that's the that's the forest that he needs to destroy. Right. Or burn down. So now that we've, you know, gone through the th th three issues, let's uh, let's head back to the last page of issue one. You know, they, they kind of, this is like where they're doing the foreshadowing. For the Merry Men? Yeah, and actually the page before that as well. The things that it sets up. Uh, the first panel, Green Arrow has given up everything, meaning that he, he gave up his company and now it belongs to Isabella to protect Star City from the corruption and evils of the world. Now, that's clearly a sheriff. Right. Um, in that third panel. So, I, you know, we have to wonder who the hell is going to be the new sheriff. Uh, and following the whole Robin Hood, you know, concept, the sheriff is always the bad guy. Right. And uh, then there's, you know, fire, but he hasn't seen anything yet. A green arrow with the fire in the forest. Um, well, we've seen that in Brightest Day. Right. Somebody 
flying down from, you know, high up, completely in silhouette. No idea who that is. But yet he's another archer. Yeah, so that's probably going to be the guy that shot Green Arrow, I would think. Right, I would I would agree. And then you have the Merry Men in the, the final page. Now, I would say almost definitely the person with the sword is Galahad. I agree. And, like, the only other thing that I am suspecting is the, obviously, the female with the long hair. I think that's going to be his sister. It could be. That's that's an interesting point. I mean, that that would be a very, that should be the, I mean, maybe should is a strong word, but that would be a very good way for them to go. I'm not sure about the other two, though. Yeah, no, I mean, with the trench coat on the one person, I guess you you might think dead man, but I don't know. And for the, the short person there, I'm thinking Puck from Alpha Flight. Like the Grey Hulk. <laughs> oh, man. No, it's the exact shape of Puck. So, that's probably going to be Little John. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. Yeah, so, I mean, overall, it's it's a good series. I would say so. I, I have enjoyed it to this point, but it definitely could be a little better. Yeah, it could have more. Like, uh, it could have less fluff, basically. You know, like, the, the, fight, the fight in the second issue, I, I think, is, for the most part, filler. But it was well done, and, you know, it kind of makes sense that you would have this fight. You know, you have people, um, Isabella's going to send in these uh, queen troopers, and, you know, Green Arrow's going to have to go up against them. And that was, uh, it was a well done fight. And, you know, Green Lantern being there, okay, well, it shows, oh, well, this is Green Arrow's power set, and this is what he can do. So, you know, it does, it showcases green arrow well in that that issue but the third issue like you know and and with the other issues different scenes are definitely filler scenes you know randomly interspersed there it's just complete filler and you know like like anybody else with the the price of comics nowadays and people wanting to get all their what their money is worth and cutting back on comics that they don't love I think that if you're going to just like waste a few pages here and there in every comic with just complete fluff that doesn't mean anything, it's you know not really the way to go. It's dangerous. That's for it sure. It is. Yeah, that that's yeah. You can only you probably could with a a more profile title that has a larger built-in audience, you probably can do that longer, but I agree for something like Green Arrow, you probably can't do that. You probably better, you know, you better get to the meat relatively quickly, or else some people are going to say, "Well, yeah, this isn't worth it," or they might just wait for the trade if they really are interested in seeing how the storyline plays out. Yeah, that's you know that you, you said it perfectly. It's it is dangerous. You don't want to you don't want to waste don't waste a page. Like right now, it's interesting enough, but if you know if we get to a point where like there's just a complete filler issue somewhere. You know, like if uh, you know, we're we're on we're only on issue three, so you know, I I feel like number four is probably going to give us a nice bit of uh, information, and number six, obviously, you're going to get like somewhat of a, re- of a resolution for the whole storyline. But if number five turns out to be just like another like kind of filler fluff issue, then 
it's going to put the future of this series, I think, in question. I think so. I think they need to. I think they need to step it up a little bit, and because they have momentum now from from brightest day, but who knows how long that's going to continue? You know. Right now, and um, like J.T. Krull, this is this is the one who did the Blackest Night Green Arrow. He did the Blackest Night Titans story, and I believe he did the Blackest Night Teen Titans story as well. So, so he obviously, I mean, especially with the tie to Green Arrow with Blackest Night, he obviously has an affinity for the character or certainly a great interest in the character. And certainly if you go back and look at all the Blackest Night tie-ins, as, as we all know, including the resurrected titles, there were, there were a lot of bad Blackest Night titles, but I, I like the Green, I mean... The Green Arrow one I liked. The uh, the Green Arrow one I thought was uh, a well-written story. I didn't particularly care for the story, you know, exactly, but I, I won't argue that it wasn't well-written. Right. The uh, the Teen Titans, it was, was it the Teen Titans with the Deathstroke? Yes, yeah, it was, it was the Teen Titans Blackest Night story, which I have never cared about Deathstroke ever, and I love that story. <laughs> So I, that was amazingly well done, and the Titan story was okay. It, it wasn't great, but you know it was it was it was okay. So I mean, like they they definitely have a good name on this. I would just say if he if he can kick it up a notch, make every issue you know like uh, bang it out of the park, then uh, you know I, I I've I've heard rumblings that you know Star City is going to be like the next hot location in dc you know like this is where the next big thing is going to happen yeah i think they have kind of said that i think they have said that so you know like if that's if that's the case then like even more than just like you know assuring the success of your comic so that you know green arrow can actually last long enough so that star city can mean something just like you know if this is going to be the the biggest place in DC, then make it worth reading. You know, hit it out of the park. Give us something, you know, amazing. You know, right now we have something good. I think it it definitely has the potential and the the groundwork to be, you know, you know, very very good. And, you know, I think if you know, depending on choices made and whatnot here and there, this this definitely has the potential to be great. And I'm definitely going to keep following along. It's it's definitely good enough for me to want to keep reading now. And I think I think it can be great. So I definitely think that it's a title that I'm certainly, well, I'm not absolutely committed to continuing to buy long term. I'm certainly willing to, pro- I'm probably willing to commit to it for at least like the first year. And after that, it depends how good the storyline is because some comics... Some titles I'm like that with, which makes sense. That if the if the arcs aren't good and you lose, it doesn't really draw you in. Then it's like okay, until until they come up with an arc or a storyline that I care about, then I'm just gonna let it go. Right. Especially since there's so many one shots these days and so many minis and so many different things mm-hmm. that it's just not it's just not worth it. And sometimes a story arc can pull you back in because now I'm starting now I'm starting to go back and pick up a not pick up back issues, but I'm starting to get the current issues of the Justice League Generation Lost more now. Now that, be, now that after Brightest Day 7, we kind of know what Maxwell Lord's back for. Right. 
and how it's related to Magog, and I find that interesting. So I'm, I've been picking up the big, the latest issues of that when normally, honestly, they've been pulled from me because everything brightest day gets pulled from me, but I really haven't bought many of them because I flip through it, it does nothing for me, and I just move on. Right. But I think so. So I don't. It would kind of be a shame if Green Arrow becomes a book like that at some point for me. But you know, but right now it isn't. Right now I like it. I think it's interesting to see how Star, how Star City plays out also with the resolution of Brightest Day also, to see how much of a tie-in that has to do with, you know, who the who the chosen one basically is, who the new to replace the white entity is going to be, all those things, and see if it's tied to Star City or what happened at Star City somehow. I'm pretty sure that either I or Corwin have mentioned on the Brightest Day episode that uh, like we're we're expecting that central tree in the forest to be somehow related to Swamp Thing. That's right. I do remember you talked about that. That would be an interesting idea to 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 kind of tie Swamp Thing in on that level, since he is kind of like an elemental protector of Earth. Yes, um, and that he is definitely returning to DC proper as opposed to Vertigo. The only thing that I wonder about that is, okay, Swamp Thing used to be in DC, and then they kind of switched him over to Vertigo, and like, okay, he makes sense in Vertigo, but how do you rectify, you know, okay, well, we're going to switch him back to DC. Well, was he always in DC? Was he missing for a few years? Was, you know, was his missing, was his uh, lack of being in the DC universe noticed by anyone? Or is anybody going to remember him? Or is he going to come onto the DC universe and be like, who is this new character named Swamp Thing? You know? That's true. It, de- it really does depend on, on the take that they choose to go or the, the take they want on Swamp Thing. I mean, I used to re- I used to read, I think it was the original series of the Swamp Thing, the tail end of it, when I first started getting into comics, which I always, and I liked it. And I think when they brought it back, I think what the second book might have been the Legend of the Swamp Thing, or Saga, Saga of the Swamp Thing. I think that's what it was before. I don't think it was, that was, I think that was before with the Vertigo title. But, I like Swamp Thing. I always have, so it would be it will be interesting to see how they do that and tie that in to, like you said, the the, the way they the changes and the different things they've done with Swamp Thing over the years. Like uh, with Dead Man, he was he was in Vertigo for a little while, and obviously while he was in Vertigo, you know, like it was a whole new take on the character. You know, Dead Man as we know him just didn't show up in DC. And then when they decided, okay, well, you know, DC's going to use him again, you know, Dead Man was still, it's like he was he had always been around, and then he didn't actually go anywhere. It's just that they weren't telling stories of him. So, be interesting to see. I think that's about all I have to say about Green Arrow right now. I don't think there's much more we can say. I mean, I think we did a good job covering the first three issues of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm looking forward to more, and I'm very much wondering when the fourth issue is going to come out. Yeah, I'm not really sure if it's if it's due out if it's due out this week or not, but you would have to think it's really really soon if not. Yeah, it seems it seems like it's been a while. Now, uh, Mark, as far as you know, the other brightest day titles you were you're mentioning a, a few here and there. Have you been reading the Flash? 
I started reading The Flash when they first started it up, but I got to be honest with you, I, uh, Sook's artwork is really turning me off. Really? Yeah. Which is kind of weird because I know he was, he was the artist. What when they did the Hal Jordan Spectre series, I believe, and I kind of and the artwork was nothing great, but maybe it's just because I liked the character enough to, and I could overlook it. But that's yeah. To me, for some reason, the artwork isn't doing it for me in the Flash. So I really have not been following it since I think like the first issue or the first two issues. Yeah, like I, uh, I've been, I've been reading that. I guess the late, latest issue is four. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a good series. Uh, I, I'm not loving it. It's in, like again, it's like it's like Green Arrow. It's interesting enough for me to want to keep reading it. Like I, I think the the funniest thing, the most ironic thing, is that it's the Flash, and the story's not moving fast enough for me. <laughs> like I I kind of like the artwork. I think it works on the level that you know it's almost a little scribbly, you know, a little jagged here and there, which makes sense for the Flash. Yes, that would make sense for the Flash. That is true. Have you, like you said, you went and picked up some of the uh, Justice League Generation Lost? Yeah, I think the last, the last two issues that came out, I I picked up. So what are they up to? Like number nine now? If not nine, it's eight or nine. It's definitely yeah. That's yeah, that's pretty far ahead considering a lot of the considering a lot of the other Brightest Day titles. That one is pretty far along. Yeah, I've I've been reading that. I like that one a lot. Haven't touched Birds of Prey at all. Oh. Yeah, that's that's one of those ones that I've just kind of been flipping through. And I, I mean, I, I, I buy it. And uh, at some point, I'd like to catch up. But uh, at this point, Ed Bennis is he's off. He's he's gone. He's left the book. So like the best part of that, that whole series, the, like the biggest draw has left. Yeah, it just doesn't. It just doesn't draw me in. It has, I mean, it increased my interest a little bit just from reading Brightest Day and like watching the interaction between Hawk and Dove. Maybe kind of, sort of want to look into it, but I don't. I'd be on. I will be honest. I don't think I even bought the first issue of of the Brightest Day tie into that. I just. I think that was one of the ones from the beginning. I kind of had made a determination that I am not going to get that one. I. Maybe because I've been burned with Blackest Night that you just can't get everything, you know? Or you shouldn't get everything. Yeah. So that was one of the ones I had written off pretty early on. And I also had written off the Justice League the inter- the Justice League Generation Lost. But now I'm getting, like I said, now I'm a little more intrigued with it, so I'm, so I'm getting back into it. But Yeah, well, the, the Birds of Prey, I think I'm starting to really evaluate and, and wonder if it could just be that, like, Gail Simone's writing just does not resonate with me. Could be. You know, like, I'm I'm not going to say that she's a bad writer. Because, you know, like, a lot of people like her stuff. Like, that, when she did the Blackest Night Secret Six story. Right. Like, for one thing, I thought that that was horrible. Because, like, it called in, it called upon so much past stuff. That, you know, it's like, okay, well, if you're just reading this as like a, like kind of a jumping on point, because like they, they gave away a ring with it. So it's kind of like, oh, hey, everybody check this out. This is a jumping on point for this series. And you read it and it was like, it was a horrible jumping on point. And then like they blow up a manhunter and somehow that gets rid of the Black Lantern. Yeah. yeah which made no sense. Like that was, that was 
that was a poor, you know, plot point. But, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I hear so many people that just love her writing. And every time I try and get into something from Gail Simone, it's just like no interest. So, I mean, like, I'm, I guess I'm getting a bunch of issues of, you know, Birds of Prey together. And when I have some time, I'm going to sit down and just read like a chunk of it. And, you know, if I like it, then I'll keep picking it up. And I just, I don't have a very good feeling <laughs> about it. Like you said, like the Hawk and Dove, you know, part from Brightest Day has been very good. So, you know, I would like to see more about them. But, you know, there's just so much other stuff going on in that series that I just, you know, like, like Black Canary. Black Canary, I think, may be, like, one of my least favorite characters. Yeah, I don't find her particularly interesting either. I mean, so... But they do push her a lot. DC does tend to push her quite a bit when you can think about it. They they try. You know, they definitely do try. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me because, you know, they actually have, you know, a number of other female, you know, superheroes. Like, um, you know, you have your Batgirl, you have your Supergirl... You have your well, Dove. You know, Dove's great. Dove's actually really, really cool. Or Mera, for, you know, over in Aquaman. Right. I was I was just gonna say when you mentioned when you mentioned Dove, Dove and Dove and Mera pretty much are the two that uh, have really I think stepped up to the forefront thanks to Blackest Night. So there are they do have other options that they can yeah. go to. You know, even even the the idea of Lady Blackhawk, I'm not too familiar with it. But I have more interest in her than I do uh, Black Canary. So I don't know. But they, they, like you said, they do push her an awful lot. And uh, like the, like she was the leader of the Justice League when they started up, right? Yeah, I think the la- I think the last time they did, right, right before they spl- before, before in theory they were going to splinter and do the Cry for Justice team that never really worked other than for the mini. But yeah, that she was. She was kind of in charge at the time everything went went to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of, you know, that kind of tells you, okay, well, you know, <laughs> maybe she's not the best person to put in charge of the Justice League. Super powerful, you know, heroes here and there. And uh, she can yell. Look at my wig. Yeah. Is it still a wig? No, I don't. It goes back and forth. Who knows? <laughs> Gosh. That's hysterical if it's a wig because that's like the first superhero who would have a secret identity that even I wouldn't recognize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the other thing, the other brightest day tie-in, I guess Titans. I haven't touched Titans at all. Yeah, well, you know like I enjoyed the the Titans Blackest Night. And I think it's J.T. Krull writing it, but I'm not entirely sure. I've been picking up the Brightest Day tie-ins. I haven't read them yet. I just, I, I hate Osiris. Yeah, I have no great interest in the character myself, so. I kind of have some interest in uh, Isis. And, like, I'd like to see the the journey to bring her back. But I feel like, you know, that journey is just going to be filled with so much filler. You know, like, okay. Whenever you have like something like that, you know, it's like, okay, well maybe if if they do it right where okay, he's got to battle this person and search for this ingredient 
and then he's got to go over here and fight this person and battle this and figure out this mystery to, you know, unlock the secrets for this parchment, you know, and gather a whole bunch of different things to bring back to sister. <laughs> like, that would be a really good story. You know, like, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be Osiris. It could be Dead Man. It could be anybody. And if you had a story like that where they have to go on this really interesting quest and each part that they gather, you know, both unlocks the next step and is also going to help at the end, like that would be a well done story. But, you know, like from what I'm reading, from what I'm gathering from just flipping through, it's, you know, Osiris is like, oh, I have to save my sister. I have to save my sister. How am I going to bring him back? How am I going to bring him back? Okay, now we have to, we're, so, you know, bad villains for hire. So now we're going to go beat on this guy. And hopefully at some point, something's going to pop up and be like, oh, yeah, here's how you get your sister back. You know, which is just like completely poor plot. And yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I would love to eat my words and, you know, be given like a really cool, you know, couple issue storyline where Osiris has to like, you know, figure out a few mysteries to figure out how to bring his sister back. But but you're not holding your breath. No, no, not at all. Not on that series. Uh, okay. How's everything going with you, Mark? You got anything you want to promote or anything? I don't have anything that's really that I want to promote. I mean, I guess I, I can obviously mention the Lantern Corps war game on Facebook again, that if anybody's interested and playing and getting into it, you can look for Lantern Corps War on Facebook. Do a search or friend me, Mark Marble. Uh, Mark with a K, M-A-R-B-L-E. Nothing to promote. I was look reading some of the message boards today, and of course this is just a rumor at this point, but they were talking about, I think what Wave 17 of the DC Classics is one of the rumors, what it's supposed to be. Oh, yes. About that it's supposed to be, the I think, the deputies from Blackest Night. Right. And but the anti-monitor in nobody knows what costume in theory yet, but the anti-monitor would be a the connected figure. Right. So that was kind of interesting. I don't think it's an incredibly original choice at this point, since that's going to be coming out really close to the DC direct wave of almost the same exact figures. Right. And I also saw again, I don't know if I don't think it's official yet, but they there were rumors about but the second wave of the DC the subline, the DC Classics Wave 2 was going to be. Oh, what's that? Give me a sec. Oh, God. Now i got to remember what it is. Uh, I think I think the Build-A-Figure, I want to say it was Stell. I think. Really? I believe there was a Carol Ferris figure mentioned in it. Right. There was a Red Lantern figure, but they didn't say what it was. Okay. A two-pack of Chip and Dexter. Oh, my God. For real? That's what the rumor was. I remember hearing that the that they were going to create a Red Lantern figure like from scratch for the series. Oh yeah, that could be it then. The Chip and Dexter. <laughs> that one's going to like fly off the shelves. Yeah, that would be a natural. Actually, like that's a series that I would get completely if only to have the uh the Stell? Yeah, the Stell build a figure. I had already pre-ordered Wave 2 before I even heard that rumor, so wow. <laughs> what are they charging for Wave 2? I believe Big Bad Toy Store had it listed for something like maybe $89 for a set of, for the full set of six. Oh, that's 
that's horrible, but it's not as bad as it could be. No, you're right. It could have been worse, but... I think it's more expensive for that Wave 17. Right. I think it also depends if you order the case or just enough figures to build the figure. Right, right. But I'm not, I'm definitely not going to pre-order the DC Universe until I know Wave 17, until I know for a fact that, you know, it is a Green Lantern wave. Right. Yeah. And I'll, I'm going to, I'll consider that Green Lantern wave too, especially if it's those characters. Because, uh, I mean, like Chip and Dexter, that's great. A Sodom Yat figure is cool. A Builder figure of Stell is just, you know, awesome. I guess it kind of depends on what design they're going to go with of him. True. You know, he gets rebuilt in like a new way every time, basically. I mean, like even like the current, the current version is very cool. Yeah, you know, random Red Lantern, if it's a brand new character or whatever, that'd be cool. And, you know, Carol Ferris, I already have two of her. So I guess why not have a third one? <laughs> That's true. But do we, re- do we really need another Star Sapphire figure? I guess it can't hurt. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Wait. Okay, well, one thing that I had heard, so I'll I'll talk about this and then I'll explain what they might do with Carol Ferris. With the Sinestro Corps Batman, Batman in the Sinestro Corps uniform, on the back of it, like, where there's a bio, the Sinestro Corps symbol kind of blocks out all the writing. Now... Mattel kind of hinted when somebody asked, like, you know, why did you make this figure when it's not based off of the comic appearance? And Mattel kind of, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge said, okay, it's not based on the comic appearance yet. As in, it's not based off of any comics that have yet come out. That's interesting. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, it very well could be that down the line, Batman is going to be wearing a Sinestro Corps ring again, which makes me wonder, okay, well, maybe it's a a Carol Ferris figure, but maybe it's uh, like some sort of altered costume for, you know, the the, the Zamorans and Star Sapphire, considering, you know, the recent developments for from the new issue. That's actually that that is actually a valid point. It could be that. So, you know, wait and see about that one. It would be cool if they did, like, the current Carol Ferris and, like, a variant of the original costume. They could do that, or some mo- maybe some modification, like when she was the Predator host or something. Yes, that would be cool, too. So, okay, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna close out the show now because I think we're pushing our luck with Mark's microphone there. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, don't be. It's, uh, we've, it's lasted this long, so... If you want to contact us, you can do so at lanterncast at gmail.com. We have a website, lanterncast.com, where you can – there's links to our forum, uh, our Facebook page, tutorials. It's got all our episodes. You can also find all of our episodes on iTunes. Just search for LanternCast. Uh, We have a voicemail number, which is 206 Three three seven one five seven nine. You can call up, leave a message about anything, and uh, you know we'll play it. We haven't gotten too many voicemail voicemails in the past, so uh, or lately. So uh, yes, please send us a voicemail so we have like you know 
send us some proof that somebody loves us still. <laughs> if you want to email us individually, you can do so at Jim, Dan, Jason, or James, our producer, at lanterncast.com, just uh, any one of our names. And uh, I got to set one up for Chad for the uh, co-host of the Lanterncast Presents Elseworlds. That'll be happening soon. And um, I guess that's it. Sounds good. Sorry. <laughs> it's hysterical. You're saying sorry because presumably your microphone keeps cutting out. And while you were saying that, your microphone cut out. I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh, thanks for coming on, Mark. Time. It was fun. And uh, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.